0: Well, good morning, church. He is risen. Oh, all right. Hallelujah, indeed. I, I think Daniel got a better response than I did. I know. It's okay. So, yeah, no, that must have been it. Yeah. It is good to be with you here. It is good. It is good to see so many of you here, and it is good to celebrate. It is good to rejoice in the fact that our Lord is risen. Indeed. And I'm glad to celebrate that with you today. But in that idea of celebration, I wanted to consider how it is and why it is that we're celebrating. What would you think of a marriage? This may sound like an odd question. okay? But what would you think of a marriage where you knew of two people that you knew and the chief activity of the husband and wife was just to celebrate anniversaries of important dates in their lives? The anniversary of their first date, the anniversary of engagement, the anniversary of the day that they took their first big vacation to Europe, uh, so on and so forth. What would you think of that? Would you find that a little odd? I think I would too. I would, I would think that there would be more a husband and wife could do than just remember that they were happy once. Okay, if that's striking a chord, marriage counseling. We can do that, but that's not really what this sermon is about, Okay. I I think that you would say that a relationship was in grave danger if all the participants could do was remember the past. I mean, sure, we have anniversaries, but relationships are growing and adaptive things. They occur in the present because of what's happened in the past, but with an eye to the future. And one of the things I want to talk about today, or, or one of the things I want us to realize today is the danger of things like Easter or Christmas or anything just being memorialized something that happened in the past there's always a danger when we look when we come to Easter that, that we're looking back across centuries and develop what one writer calls a memorial complex where we primarily become occupied preoccupied with Christianity even Christ in a sense of only Remembering the past. Easter is past. Christmas is past. And and especially I think in our tradition, the Lord's Supper can, can especially kind of take on that tone sometimes because of our tendency to wax memorial about Christ's death and burial and resurrection and his institution of communion so long ago. It fails to see the risen Christ at the table now. Communing with us now transforming us now jordan i hope i'm not submarining your communion thoughts right now while i'm doing this but we're okay we're good all right my point is is that is that it's so critical with things like that and things like easter this is not just a memorial of a victory that was purchased long ago and far away it is a bridge to victory now It is a bridge to life now. It is a bridge to resurrection now. And like any marriage, the marriage of Jesus occurs in the present because of the past with an eye to the future. The psalm that we read today is Psalm 16. And at the top of the, if, you, if, you, if you're looking in your Bibles at Psalm 16, you'll see that up at the top, it says this, a mictim of David. We don't know what that word means. Not really. Okay. So some of this is me guessing a little bit, but the, at the best that we know, the idea is that it's an inscripted writing. That's kind of the, the closest word that we have to that. This word mictim. And the idea is is that it would be something that David actually wrote down, okay? There are songs that you sing, and then there are songs where you go, oh, that's really good, I'm going to write that down. But there's more to it than just him going, oh, this was a really, really good song, I'm going to write that down. The idea of something being written down in the royal hand is that it's like a decree even. It's supposed to stand the test of time. You write it down when you're the king because you want people to remember it, and you want it to be binding, it's important. This was important enough for David for it to be sung and resung, and written down for all time for us to hear. And the whole point of the psalm, as, as we read through it, as we listen to it, it is David's commitment regardless of circumstances to trust in and rejoice in God alone. Others might turn to more expedient ways. Others might turn to powers that they can control, but not David. David says, I have no good life save in you. Hmm. And so it is here that he is going to root himself. And it's here that he's going to rejoice. Regardless of the challenges that assault him. he He is going to make his life here. And that's kind of where the whole psalm like opens up out of, right? Is is, I have no good life except in you. And so I will root myself in you. And at the end of the psalm, we see the reasons for that trust. Not just that you're going to give me that you're the source of my good life now, but you're the source of my good life always. At the end of the psalm, he says, you will not abandon me to the grave. For you have made known to me. The path of life. And we don't know exactly when this psalm happens in David's life, okay? But, but we assume that it is one of those psalms that happens toward the end of his life. It's one of those ones in his twilight years. David imagines his life with God in the present... Where he is because of the past, all of the things that I have been through, all the ways that you have been faithful, all the times that you have carried me through, and I have, I have found good life in you, and when I have tried to look elsewhere to find life, I have not found it. I have not found the good life outside of you. And as he's kind of collecting his thoughts, he says, yeah, that's, that's the truth. The only time I have ever found good and lasting life is with you, God. Because you've been faithful, because you are faithful, because you will be faithful. God has saved the day before, even in the face, and now, even in the face of the ultimate adversary, death. David is at least aware of some kind of movement beyond this concept of of what's called Sheol, the Hebrew concept of death. It literally means something like the shadow land. A place of actual shadows and darkness where the dead dwell. It's not full of life, it's just full of shadows. It's not completely dead, but it's not alive either. But even with the reality of the shadows sitting before him, David is confident that somehow, in some way, God is going to bring life beyond the grave. God is going to bring life beyond the decay. This is not the end of David's story. And he says, write that down and keep it because we need to remember this is not the end of the story. And Psalm 16 makes its way into the New Testament in two different places. Luke, when he writes the gospel of Luke in two parts, Luke and Acts, he puts Psalm 16 in the mouth of Peter at Pentecost and he puts it in the mouth of Paul speaking to the church of Antioch. In Acts chapter 2, verses 25, and Acts chapter 13, verse 35, respectively. And for Peter, when he speaks it, it's a really bold reversal of that disgraceful denial by the fire a few weeks ago. The mouth that by fear said, I don't know who he is, is now publicly and quite forcefully using Psalm 16 to show that David expected not just his own resurrection, but he expected an anointed one that was greater than him to experience life beyond the grave. And that that proves that this Jesus whom you crucified is now raised from the dead and has been made both Lord and King. Paul uses it kind of the same way. He uses it to convince his listeners in Antioch the validity of the gospel, and the restoration to new life that is now available because of it. And they use it again the same way that I talked about. Because of God's faithfulness in the past, because of David's recognition of the faithfulness in the past, that has now been made full in Jesus in the present with an eye to the future that we are going to follow in his footsteps. Both of those speeches give us an idea that Luke sees David working kind of on two levels of reality in this psalm. On the one hand, he's convinced that his own life, in David's life, God is not going to abandon him to the grave. God is not going to let his anointed one, David, see decay. But Luke records Peter saying, guys, I can confidently tell you that we know exactly where David's body is right now. Not that you don't already know yourselves. You could, it's in the tomb of the kings right over here. And if we were to go have a look, you would definitely see decay. He has to be also referencing something greater than himself. He has to be referencing a prophetic word for the future. I think as David was composing this psalm, he was remembering back to a time where he wanted to build God a house. He said, you know, I've got this really big palace and, and you're in a tent. We should probably do something about that. And, and God says, I'm sorry, you have this backwards. I'm the Lord of the universe. You don't build me houses, I build you houses. Remember? I, I, don't, I don't need you to build me a house. I will let your son build me a temple for the benefit of your people. But the whole earth and heaven are mine. That's my house. said, but I'll tell you what, I love your heart. I'll build you a house. Not a physical house. I will build you a house of lineage. I will build you a house of succession. I will build you a house of honor because I love you. But I'm going to give you something even more out of that. That out of your house, I will bring one that will bless all nations for all times. And so even as... As even as, as as David is looking at his own life and looking at the resurrection of God and this trust that God will not abandon him to the grave, God will not let him stay in decay, God is going to make known to him the path of life, he recalls this time and says, maybe that's what God's talking about here. The promise that I, there is a descendant coming that I don't even know, and he is going to reign Forever. And this forms his thought process throughout the psalm. And then Luke shows us how David is putting the dots out that only would get connected when Jesus rises from the dead on Easter Sunday. We didn't know, but now we know. We knew in part, now we know in full. That's the idea. Have you ever thought about how much was at stake when Jesus' body was laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea that Friday? I mean, think of just just how much was at stake there. How explicit had Jesus been with people? In front of crowds of people, he said, you can destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He had talked to crowds of people and, and, and talked to his disciples. Right And and said, look, here's the truth of the matter. You need to know it. I'm going to be betrayed. I am going to be handed over. I am going to die. And I am going to be raised. How much was at stake when his body was laid in the tomb? More than just his claims as Messiah, it was the hopes of all the faithful that had gone before. David included that there is more to the story. That we don't end our days enslaved to sin, ruined by death. All of that is at stake when the body is laid in the tomb. And that's why we spend so much time going through Good Friday. That's why we leave in this rule of silence on Friday evening after our Good Friday service. And why there is this period of silence on Saturday where we have to sit in the reality of There was so much to lose. And then we get to rejoice in the fact that God is faithful and he does raise Jesus from the dead. We live in a culture that tries to erase the unpleasantness of death a lot of times. It's, it's in our rituals. It's in our language. People don't die anymore. They pass away. Okay, they do. They pass away, but they die too. We don't have funerals anymore. It's too depressing. We have celebrations of life. Okay, I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate their life. Okay, don't, don't hear me just dismissing this stuff out of hand. But do you hear it in our language how afraid we are to look at death? Even, even, in, even in the way that we observe it. Even in the way that we talk about someone dying. We can't talk about a cessation of life. We're too afraid. It scares us too much. We like life too much. It's not bad. Life's pretty cool. I like it. I think you like it too. But, but all of it is trying to kind of pour varnish over the reality that our world thinks all we can do is look backward. All we can do is memorialize. All we can do is look back to a point when we were happy. The present's too much, so we have celebrations of life to look back to when we were happy. And so we shine it up, we add extra color and nostalgia, and we try to go it as best we can, avoiding the reality of the present and looking back to the past. And Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus didn't try to camouflage death. He didn't try to side oh, I love this. He didn't try to sidestep it and leave it for you and me to deal with either. He had multiple ample opportunities to do so. And he's kind of the son of God. So he had the power to sidestep it if he wanted to. If he decided, you know what? I really do not enjoy this. This whole process of being betrayed and and being beaten and being crucified and dying. I I am not up for this today. I am done. He totally could have. And he doesn't do it. And he also didn't try to minimize or deflect sin. That thing that holds us so powerless to death and decay. He didn't try to sidestep or minimize those things either. How many of you were at the Good Friday service at Perks? We had a few of us that were there. Okay, I was so thankful for Sean, the guy from Colwood Pentecostal that was speaking. I was so thankful for his words about the three best words. In, uh, in, in, the, in the crucifixion account. We were all like, it's finished. And he's like, no, I am thirsty. I am thirsty. Jesus goes ahead and embraces the need. And then when he realizes that the wine that they're giving him has an analgesic in it that's gonna numb his senses and numb him down, he won't take it anymore. And even though he's thirsty and even though he's weak, he won't sidestep the pain. Because he knows that you and I don't have that option. And so he won't do something that would separate him from us out of, out of his great love. And so he meets them both head on at the cross. And he enters the grave head on. And when he does that, he does something amazing. He takes our last resting place, the thing that we're so afraid of. And he sanctifies it. He changes it. He makes it something else. He makes it something new. And now death is not something that he enters into and stays there. He lays sin to rest there instead of us. And he restores our honor by scorning the shame and the power of sin and death and in doing so he made his promises clear I the holy one was not abandoned to the shadow lands of the grave to the decay of the handmaiden of sin death I died but I didn't stay dead I walked through death and now you don't have to stay dead either you will walk through death as well In church this is the core of the gospel There is no greater gospel than this. There is no better news of Jesus than this. He was not abandoned to the grave. The Holy One did not see decay. And He is our pioneer, He is our big brother. He is the one who leads us in the way that He met death. By walking straight through it. He is the one who erases fear and replaces it with peace. And now we get to say the same thing. We get to say because Christ lived and because Christ died and because Christ rose again, I am a forgiven child of God. Because Christ arose, I can confidently expect that I will die and I will rise. It is a good reason to rejoice, isn't it church? It's it I know no better reason. I know no better reason than the thing that I am most afraid of that all this no matter how good it is is going to end. That that ending is not an ending. That ending is not the final ending that there is more, more than I could possibly imagine. I know no better reason to rejoice. I know no better reason to celebrate today because that's not something that just happened a long time ago. That's something that is happening in you and me now. That is something that is happening in our world now, and it's so hard to recognize it sometimes, I know, because it seems as though death and decay is all we see anymore. Okay? And, you know, don't get me started on a tangent about how we have a media that's infatuated with death and decay because it sells, okay? And because we allow it to, to rope us in, right? It preys on our fears and we pay for it. I don't know why, but we do. But even though it looks all around us like death and decay are having their day, the truth of the matter is they don't. They don't get to anymore because the end of the story is that Christ has overcome the grave, not just in his life, but in the lives of all who would believe. And so our life with Christ is no longer about the past, no longer about his past, no longer about our past. Easter isn't something that happened. It is something that is happening And our past is no longer a trail of unforgiven sin anymore. Easter isn't something that has happened. It is happening. And our present is no longer a meaningless jumble of incidents and accidents, cycles and circles without any point or out any purpose. Easter isn't something that happened. It's something that's happening. And our future is no longer a road we travel alone with our fears knowing that death is waiting for us at the end, no matter how we scratch and claw to avoid his gapping maw. No, no, no. Our future is now that we stand squarely and confidently with our brother David and with our brother Jesus. And we say to the God in whom we place our trust, you have made known to me the path of life. And so with you, there is an abundance of joy. And in your right hand is eternal pleasure. Amen? Amen. 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 Believe and rejoice church. And don't just believe and rejoice, build your life around that trust. Build your life around that rejoicing. Build the life that you have now because of the past in the now, but always always with an eye to the future. You will not be sorry that he did that you did. He is risen, risen Hallelujah. hallelujah, amen, happy Easter.